Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. moment to remind you that this month, Film Study is brought to you by Manscaped. Support for this episode comes from Manscaped. Manscaped has the right tools to get the job done quickly, safely, and hygienically. Um, go ahead and get check out Manscaped. Manscaped.com. Use the code BIRDLAND for 20% off. It's summertime. You need Manscaped. It's the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming. 
they have forever changed the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0. It's constantly a number one recommended gift for men. You should check it out. It's getting warm out. You can use it. Use the code BIRDLAND for 20% off at manscaped.com. Do yourself a favor and get the best tools for the job. And as their slogan always says, your balls will thank you. Folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Uh, I'm here today joined by Gabe Ferguson. How are you doing, Gabe? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me again. Always a pleasure, Gabe. Uh, again, did a fine preview on uh, Baltimore Sports Sporting Life or Sports and Life. I always want to try and get that right. BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. SportsAndLife.com. There's like no separation there for me. But anyway, the uh, mm-hmm. uh, Gabe, a, a fine writer over there, uh, he and, and his friend Jordan Coe, uh, both outstanding contributors to, to Baltimore Sports and Life. Want to want to have you take a look at that when you get a chance. But uh, one of the things he wrote recently was, and how long ago was this now? It was about the defensive line previewing that. So I probably put this piece up about three weeks ago. Um, this was one of the first things that I was really excited about with how the Ravens have kind of changed their defense around on this offseason. And the the defensive line is is some as a position I think that the Ravens have kind of not put too much in terms of resources in, in, in recent seasons. And, and this offseason, we saw a little bit of a, a, a change in course there. Yeah, quite a, quite a lot of change on the defensive line, and more is to come if you look at the contracts of this. I want to get back to that in just a minute and kind of set that up properly. But I also want to talk about the news of the day today. You can tell now we're recording this on June 30th. And the Patriots have gotten uh, two things happened to them in the last two days. One is they signed Cam Newton. To a deal, and the other is their penalty came down on Spygate Two. To me, anytime you have a two or a sequel attached, it should be, uh, you know, a, a more significant fine attached. But the Ravens were the uh, Patriots, I should say, were kind of let off with a slap on the wrist with a third-round pick confiscated and a 1.1 million dollar fine, which, by the way, I think is a complete snooze. Well, in terms of the fine, I mean, what's what's 1.1 million dollars to an NFL team? You know, that's that's nothing. So I, I I agree with that. That's kind of like basically a slap on the wrist. Anytime a draft pick is involved, you know, that's that's definitely something that matters more. I think, um, but yeah, I I think that you know they are kind of a repair. Um, so maybe you could expect something more. But I also think that the actual crime itself wasn't too terrible, and. I'm not sure they were actually really trying to to do much of a, a cheating in this instance. Did you happen to hear the video of the press box attendant or whoever it was that was catching the video guys in the act? Because it sounded like they knew they'd been caught red-handed in the affair. So yes, I did. Um, and, it, and I agree with you. I, it sounds like that they knew that they were doing something they shouldn't be doing. Um, but I also still found it to be very peculiar, just the circumstances all around. And, and maybe this is something they had done other places and just didn't get caught. And that's, and that's why it's, it seems like, it, it seems odd. But I, I I wasn't too taken aback by the fact that they were spying on the Cincinnati Bengals. Like they need to spy on the Bengals to, to, to beat them. It was actually kind of embarrassing in that regard. But all the kind of things they were trying to do to get out of it. No, 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 no damage is done. We can just delete it right here. Kind of thing. Oh, 
grapple. You know? Yeah, definitely caught right-handed. Cam Newton going to help the Patriots or not? So I think, yes, I think he will help. And I think he'll help in kind of some of the same ways we saw Lamar Jackson help the Ravens when he was in his rookie year. Because I think that might be the same kind of player that Newton is at this point in his career. He can do some things with his legs. He's not going to be an incredibly accurate passer. But he's going to just be able to elevate the run game more than anything else. And I think with a defense like that Patriots still have, I think it'll make them a a more viable contender. It it is possible that he'll be a better uh, runner or or more effective uh, running game for them. He's been not a particularly good quarterback. Since his MVP season, he's had an 82.6 quarterback rating over the four-year period. Uh, Does not have an impressive touchdown-to-turnover ratio. Uh, It's just he has not been a very good quarterback these last four years. So I I look at it as a good good thing for the AFC in general that Belichick is not trying to take a tank year, or at least it appears he's not trying to take a tank year and get Trevor Lawrence, which was one of my big fears is that they get into the top six or five picks and they'd be able to trade up the rest of the way to get him by trading talent or trading future picks or whatever. And then that would set them up for, you know, another decade of, of uh, advantage play. I don't want that. I mean, it's obviously, it's a bad division. They've got a low bar to try and win it. Maybe Newton is a guy who gets them to nine and seven and gets them to win the division. I don't think the team is that good. I think defensively they, they stand a chance of being very exposed this year in a year where, um, you know, they won't have a decent offense to back up a, a, a defense that has a real lack of speed. They have, they have a decent secondary, don't get me wrong, but in general, in the front seven, they have a real lack of speed. Yeah, I, I agree with that in terms of how you're assessing their defense, but I think that Bill Belichick is still one of the better defensive minds in the NFL, and, and he knows how to he knows how to uh, get his players lined up, and he's very good scheming week to week, preparing for every single team. And I, I think that that is going to be, you know, a place where they're going to still do pretty well. All right. All right. Well, let's get to the topic of the day here because we want to talk about the defensive line a little bit. And if you don't mind, I'm just going to set this up a little bit because the 2019 Ravens defensive line is very unusual. In 2018, they actually had a historic team low of snaps allocated to defensive linemen, only 1.90 per snap. Early in 2020, they were down at about 176. Might have even been slightly lower than that early in the season. That changed in the second half. They played more defensive linemen per snaps, largely because they turned to the jumbo nickel as their primary way to defend the run. So they used three defensive linemen per play on those snaps, whereas they would only otherwise use three defensive linemen in a base alignment, which they don't play very much anymore, about 10.6% base last year, uh, down from 15% in in 2018, which was the low in in team history to that point. So anyway, they're they're, they're playing this uh, very reduced number of defensive linemen, and we look at the the pieces they, they brought in over this season with Campbell and Wolf and Matabike, uh, Washington, you know, coming in in, in the draft. Um, and and it, it really brings to question, you know, how will these guys be used? Will they, first of all, will they make greater use of them than we've seen in the past? And, you know, beyond that, how quickly do they need to rebuild again, given where these guys are in their contract? But I want to lay that as a framework. I want to let you go through the individual players 
line them up. I'll have a couple things to say about each, but please give me your thoughts first on each. So I think we can start with Calais Campbell, who was I, in, in a piece I, I wrote that on, on Baltimore Sports and Life, I kind of put him as, you know, the the main piece. He was he was the big mover in this offseason, and, and a lot has kind of come around him. He's a dynamic player. He can align pretty much anywhere on the defensive line. He can line up on the edge. He can play your three technique. He even takes some snaps at nose tackle. Um, and he, he's just a different type of player than the Ravens have had over you know the past decade. He's He's got incredible length. He's very technically sound. He's very consistent. He can play against the run, against the pass. He can you know, he can be a two-gapper. He can penetrate in one gap. He's just one of the better defensive linemen that the, the league has right now. And him coming to the Ravens, um, and that was a two-year deal, is, is really giving them you know, a fundamental change to, to what they can get out of their defensive line. I, I think he's going to be used more than most of the defensive linemen that the Ravens have had typically. He's probably going to see, I, would, I think, maybe 60 to 70% of the snaps. And I think that he's really going to be a, a presence that's, that's going to just elevate the play of, of everybody around him. Yeah, I think that's an excellent assessment, including the, the, the snap percentage, which why don't we leave that for the end anyway? But Campbell has been an Ironman the last five years. He's been between 77 and 80 percent of snaps with the Jags and Arizona during that time. So uh, very impressive player to basically be hitting his prime years. OK, let's say this. He's hitting his best years as a player between 30 and or sorry, 29 and 33, which is amazing. He'll be 34 this season. Uh does a lot of things well, but one of the things the Ravens really need is a an outstanding edge setter. And I, I have to wonder if there's a way Wink can make that work, given what the Ravens have and what they need. I mean, outside linebackers can set the edge. It's definitely a big weakness of this team. And I don't think it would be such a terrible thing to have Campbell used on the edge in some early down formations. Yeah, I I agree with that assessment, and and I also wonder would would the Ravens use some more kind of even fronts as opposed to their traditional um, three four front um, where you where you'd have you know Campbell still playing probably your your five technique, um, but then you can have you know Brandon Williams also lining up as a nose tackle still, and then you can have either Wolf or Matabike or Washington as kind of another defensive tackle, playing a three technique, and then you can have an outside linebacker as, as the other edge, um, whether that's, you know, a Jihad Ward or, or Matt Judon. Um, I think there's a lot of options that the Ravens have, and Campbell is, is kind of the key to that because he's that player that you can play outside. You can, you can have him as a viable edge defender. He's very good against the run, and he can, but you can also have him, you know, playing in the interior as well. It'd be it'd certainly be in an even front situation, but the base nickel, which is really their base defense, is an even front. It's a, right. it's a it's a it's a you know a two four five four two five however you want to think about it. But there's four men at the line of scrimmage, and you you might lose a little from having Campbell not in a three point stance in that situation, or maybe you just line him up in a three point stance and you take your chances and you got athletic linebackers and they can flow to the edge that he's on if need be. But it, it seems to me he could do a lot to change the line of scrimmage, to, to dictate the, the edge there. And with some of the athleticism that we went over last time on the, on the inside linebacker uh, show, 
uh, would give you lots of options there in terms of, of not playing the edge exactly the same way that you have in previous years. Right. And, and I think getting back to one of your previous points about how the Ravens had, had used the, the jumbo nickel more so towards the end of last season, I think we'll continue to see that trend upwards um, with the, with three defensive linemen. Um, and I think you can see Campbell as kind of being on the field for a, a lot of those snaps and, and Wolf probably playing a three technique position. But, you know, Matabike, he's also someone who can excel in that three technique role as well. And, and then if you don't have Brandon Williams on the field, I think you can have all three of them. And that's, that's a pretty viable pass rushing front that you have there. So you can keep them on and, and use that as a pass rushing kind of package with those three that can also be pretty formidable against the run, I think, as well. And it'll depend on how, um, and, I mean, we haven't really gotten to Matabike yet, but how good of a player he is as a rookie and, and how big of a role he will have. But I really liked what I saw out of him as, as a college player. I think he could come in and have an instant impact. Yeah, great big boy role, lots of things. Why don't we move on to just Matabike since we're on the topic? Um, but but his his play at, at Texas A&M was was impressive. I mean, he's a he's definitely a, a, a big guy with a lot of quickness. What strikes me about him and, and particularly with with how Wink likes to scheme for pressure is that he's that rare interior lineman who's both a good over and under guy on stunts. A lot of guys, a lot of bigger defensive linemen, Tim Jernigan falls into that category really are, are very, and Wolf does to a degree too, are guys who are very good at playing the under role and, and deriving an advantage as soon as that second block peels off. But Matabike can do either. He can loop as well, and he's very quick. And, uh, you know, what I saw at Texas A&M, he was following the rear end of the player who was picking very effectively. So I, it's a, it's a, I'm very excited to see what he can do. I do look at as him, he and Wolf are really competing for a lot of playing time in my opinion. Uh, I, I think the Ravens, in fact, will abandon the jumbo nickel because of their linebacker situation this next year, but we'll see. You know, They never played it before 2018. They only really played it in, 20, in 2018 and 19 due to the real shortcomings they had at inside linebacker, particularly in 2019. So I, I, I think it was more of a reaction and not what they want to do. And part of that I'm projecting from the fact that they drafted two inside linebackers. Doesn't necessarily mean I'm right. Doesn't mean they'll completely go away from it. But if it if it was eight eight and a half percent last year, you know, I I expect it to be less than one percent this coming year. But we'll see. It's it is one of the packages I expect to go away. Yeah, that, that's an interesting perspective because, like I said, I thought I think that might be something that we we see just because of the players that I think can really have an impact in terms of pass rush. And and you mentioned Matabike and Wolf as kind of you know vying for the same um, snaps, and I think to some extent that's going to be true. But if you have them on the field at the same time, and, and especially along with Campbell, then I think you do have potentially a very potent pass rush you know trio that you can really use in a lot of different ways. As you mentioned, you know they're good at at stunting and, and twisting up front, um, Campbell included in that. And then, you know, whether you have an outside linebacker um, with his hand in the dirt, like Matt you not the rush linebacker position, or or maybe a Jalen Ferguson or a Pernell McPhee, or then you can also have somebody like like Tyus Bowser who can get blitzed or you can drop into coverage. So I think there's a lot of different things that you can do. And that's and that's one of the keys, I think, moving forward, is the, is the versatility of, pl- of players that the Ravens have, both at the linebacker and at the defensive line. 
Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very encouraged by that. And you're mentioning a lot of the versatility, but I mean, when you have that many players on the inside who are really good at stunting, and then you have outside linebackers with the quickness to both, you know, follow as a looper or drop to coverage. I mean, that is a tremendous amount of flexibility that Martindale has built up. And it's not just flexibility, it's really depth as well at all those positions. I mean, I I really kind of see Matabike and Wilf, like I say, is competing for snaps, but you have much more duplication at the outside linebacker spot where you have, you know, Ward and and um, uh, Bowser and Ferguson and McPhee possibly playing inside or outside. You know, they just have so many options in terms of pass rush depth. They're one of the few NFL teams that while they don't have a, you know, an Beyond Campbell and maybe Judon, they don't. They have the obvious one-on-one winners. They have a lot of um, ability to stay fresh as pass rushers with all the depth they have. Right, and 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 as you as you mentioned before, that's kind of the hallmark of Wink Martindale as a defensive coordinator. He's going to keep rotating his his players um, along the defensive line and and at an outside linebacker as well. And I think we'll see him, you know, fi- kind of find a groove as to how these players work together the best um, and different packages, I think, especially as the season progresses, I think we might see kind of a, a similar player package in which certain players might fit together more fluently together than other players. And that's something that I'll be interested in tracking if there's certain players that kind of move together as, as a group. Yeah, definitely something. We ought to get together on that. I mean, I have it for every game. So if you're interested, uh, it, it's something I would love to... You know, look at and maybe have you on for a show during the season on the defense. I think that'd be fun to talk about it. Yeah, Who'd you like to talk about next? Um, let's, you know, let's talk about Brand Williams because I, I think you mentioned uh, Wolf and uh, Matabuke having, you know, maybe competing for some snaps. I think that Brand Williams might be the odd man out in a, in a lot of these um, defensive line groupings. And it's because he just doesn't offer as much as a pass rusher. And while I, I do think he's going to be on the field on early downs, probably you know fairly consistently, I think he's also kind of a liability in terms of what you can do. He doesn't move as well as the other defensive linemen that the Ravens have. And he has, in the past few years, taken a lot of pass rush snaps, and he hasn't really done very much with them. And I think he might be a player that starts to see those snaps go away. Right. They used him some last year as the sole interior lineman on uh, some uh, race car dime formation. So they had five guys up at the line of scrimmage with a dime package beyond that. And that included B-Will and four outside linebackers, generally speaking. I, I agree that he doesn't bring you as much in terms of the pass rush. And I don't see him. I, I see him losing a lot of those what were fairly limited opportunities. But I look at the rest of the defensive line, and it is not a big stand-your-ground defensive line. That's not what Wolf is as a player. That's not what Matabike is as a player. Washington probably is not going to see the field very much. Ellis is the only other really big body they have on the team. And I'm not including Campbell in this because they need him to do a lot of other things, like perhaps set the edge. So I, I'm, I'm concerned about the Ravens' size in the post-Michael Pierce era. Because that was the that was the one part of their regular nickel package that made them still effective to a degree, at least stopping the run. It was very difficult to run inside still in the Ravens last year, even though it was easier to run to the outside than it's ever been. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. You know, have, having Pierce and Williams next to each other really kind of made it impossible to to move them out of the way when you were trying to run up the middle. So, 
that that is something that they won't have unless they want to you know have either Ellis or um, Mac in that rotation. And I and I guess we could kind of talk about those two guys kind of as a tandem because I don't think both of them will be on the 53-man roster. Um, and it's I don't I'm not sure which one of them is going to have a leg up going into uh, you know the 2020 season. Mac obviously is on a rookie contract, so that gives him some advantage, but. Honestly, I wasn't too impressed by him last year, so I'm not sure if he's maybe a player the Ravens would try to put on the practice squad. I think Ellis played better in limited snaps, uh, but he's you know on a one-year veteran deal. So um, both of them kind of fill the same role as that backup nose tackle guy. And I guess in any time you could have either one of them next to Williams, especially kind of in jumbo packages. But yeah, do you think that they will both make the team, or do you think it's kind of I think it's unlikely, like like you do. I mean, I, I've given away those two extra spots so many times in terms of the <laughs> roster generation, other positional groups, but I don't see I don't see doing it here. Um, the, the the one reason you might keep Mac around is because the defensive line is going to have to largely be rebuilt after the either this year or after 2021, and I think the COVID-19 cap situation is probably telling me it's going to really be after this year they're going to have to have to finish that job. And if so, Mac would probably fit into your plans, as you say, because of the rookie deal, more than Ellis does, uh, even though Ellis could probably be had cheaply next year as well. Last year, 35, I'm sorry, 65 snaps for Ellis, eight snaps for Mac as I count them. That excludes penalties, Neil Spikes. Uh, you guys know the drill by now, I'm sure. But uh, I... Mac was put on IR at midseason in the same week that Pecco and Ellis were acquired. Now, it might have been an actual injury, but it kind of had all the the hallmarks, earmarks of a um, red shirt move that they that they didn't think he was ready for whatever reason to either with the system, with the understanding of the playbook, with his own uh, work in the weight room. To, to move into one of those nose tackle spots because they they went through that process. They signed two nose tackles the same week. Neither of them had been playing. And it was basically a sign two and hope one works out situation, in my opinion. They're both active for that first game. And, of course, Pecco took off and was outstanding for the Ravens down the stretch. And Ellis really didn't get very much playing time. Uh, he got less than half of the playing time. Pecco got it 152 snaps. So, uh, to me, uh, I... I, I just don't know where the team is with Mac. I mean, last preseason, he looked okay. I thought he actually looked pretty decent, but, but you know, we didn't see in the regular season. He's only active for one game. Yeah, that's true. And I think the, the Ravens are going to want to figure out what they have with him. It, it's, mm. I, he was a fourth-round draft pick, if I'm rem- remembering correctly. Um, and you at least want to see him on the field a little bit, I think, before you kind of cut ties with him. Um, so maybe he kind of just gets the nod because of that of that rookie contract. And as, as you mentioned earlier, the, the Ravens don't have a lot of young talent on the on defensive line. That's right. I mean, they're all old guys. Mac is 30. Uh, B will is, I think 31 and Wolf is 30 and Campbell is 34. You know, this is a defensive line. All those contracts end by 2021. So Campbell's goes through 2021 and B wills goes through 2021. Wolf is done this year. He's just a one year deal. And Ellis is just a one year deal. So, you know, they started the process with Matabike and Washington of rebuilding that defensive line. But that process is going to have to accelerate and probably include a top draft pick this next season, I would think. I mean, they need a pass rusher, but I would think they're going to have to expend significant draft capital on the defensive line come this next draft. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think 
Mac might have a chance to be on the roster because there's a chance that this might be Brandon Williams' last year with the mm-hmm. team as well, and they might see Mac as his you know, potential replacement um, as a nose tackle. Um, although you know it's possible that Broderick Washington could be that player. He's he's a little bit of a, a lighter defensive tackle than than they are in terms of the kind of mid three hundreds, and where Brandon Williams and, and and Mac and Ellis probably fit in. But I think you know Washington is a is a pretty stout run defender for for someone who's you know his size, and I think that he definitely um, could fit into the equation moving forward as you know kind of the defensive tackle nose tackle type. Yeah, it's interesting because he's a player who has played all over the field in his college career, and he played a ton of snaps in his in his college career. He played almost every down, and yet he's played nose, three tech, and on the edge this last year. Uh, you know, t- trying to make use of him, he really has not. He did not put together impressive numbers in college. I mean, I know they love him as a disruptor, and they probably have some specific role in mind, but, you know, it's I think it's up in the air now exactly where he would end up on the line. Could be a three. I guess he could be a nose. I think I think it's probably more likely he ends up at the three, but we'll see. Yeah, I, I think Matabike, you know, he's more of your traditional three, um, and and Washington probably a little undersized for the nose, but, if you know, he does, I think, use his leverage pretty well, and, and he wasn't someone who I got saw who I saw was really pushed around a lot. I think he can be kind of a, a nose tackle in, you know, maybe your, your sub package situations, maybe not in, in your base or in your jumbos. Um, but I think that another guy that the Ravens might be interested in is the undrafted reagent they found. And that's uh, Aaron Crawford, who I think was actually, I, I just saw a few snaps of him. Um, he played at the university of North Carolina and he was an outstanding run defender. Um, and he's not very big or athletic. Um, I think he's like six one, maybe three, a little over three hundred pounds. But he was impressive as a run defender. And you know, he might be the kind of next, you know, uh, Michael Pierce that they have as an undrafted player. Yeah, I mean that'd be terrific. Obviously, at two ninety, I would not expect him to be playing the nose. No doubt they'll try and get him to to put on weight at that level. That's a, he's got a very fast forty time for a big man at at five oh four. Uh, you know, Matabike is a freak to be at, in the 480s, but uh, uh, at 504, perfectly, perfectly reasonable and, and good for a, for a nose tackle. But uh, I don't know. I didn't I don't know anything about him as a player at North Carolina. I'm going to have to try and get some tape on him uh, if you think he might be a guy. Yeah, I mean, I was just doing a little bit of research on him because I didn't know much about him either. And there isn't, you know, a lot of tape on him because he, he wasn't a very high rated prospect, but. Um, you can you can kind of put some things together, and and he's been around for I think he was a three year starter for them, so you know he's definitely got some skill, um, and it's possible that he's kind of a practice squad guy. That's probably where he ends up this year, um, but I I do think that there is some potential there, and I think that you know the Ravens identified him as somebody that they, that they saw who could be a, you know a future, maybe not starter, but definitely a rotational player. Right. All right, well, I guess the one guy we haven't discussed so far is Patrick Ricard in terms of how he might be used on the DL this year. Where, where are you on that? So I'm of the mindset that he's not going to be used on the defensive line, except for maybe in some of the, the mop-up duties. If the Ravens have a big lead and they just have him active, and he's just a guy that they can put in there. Um, and I, I get the feeling that he kind of likes playing defensive line a little bit. You know, it's, it's a little different and you know, maybe get a sack or knock some balls down, that kind of thing. Um, I, 
I don't think he's going to play very much. He's definitely not, I don't think, going to be part of the, the main rotation. Right. I, I mean, I agree. And I think, you know, if you if you want to bring him in for mop-up duty, think about just how important Patrick Ricard is to this offense for a second and, and how, how screwed they'd be if they lost him there. I mean, I, I boy, I'd, I'd want to be getting him off the field rather than, than, than taking a chance with him there. I mean, you, you know, you lose Ellis or, you know, even a player like Wolf, maybe to, to, to have him take a little bit heavier load. I mean, to me, that's a, that'd be a much less serious loss than losing Ricard from the offense. Yeah, that, that is a good point, but I think it also depends on how many defensive line that the, the Ravens are going to have active on game day. You know, at times last year, we only saw them having like three or four defensive linemen active. I think this year they're going to probably be more like, you know, four, four or five on any given day, probably five. Um, but if it's for some reason a light day and, and, you know, I think you don't want to have Campbell out there more than you need or and Wolf and even Williams, you know, they're they're older players who have a lot more wear and tear on their bodies. And, and like I said, I think, I think Ricard kind of, you know, has some fun doing it too. So I, I agree with you though. He, he's definitely very valuable as a fullback. I think he's going to have an expanded role this year with, you know, losing Hayden Hurst. Um, so I think Ricard's going to probably be on more offensive snaps. And, and that's why I don't think he's going to play too much defense. All right. Fair enough. Well, how about we talk about that a little bit in terms of, apportioning the snaps for 2020 is one thing I like to do. And, and it never works out quite because of injury. Somebody will lose a lot of snaps because of injury. And that means somebody will have to step up and play a much, much larger role. But, you know, assuming, you know, these are the guys they go with, or these are the guys they have available and they don't end up signing anybody or bringing anybody in at midseason, also a good possibility. How would you see the percentage of snaps played? And I'm going to, I'm going to, Bring you back to the fact that the Ravens last year played 1.93 defensive linemen per snap. So the sum of the percentages should be whatever you think it is in terms of defensive linemen per play. That makes sense, Gabe? Yep, that makes sense. You're a PhD in something, right? What are you PhD in? <laughs> That's correct. Um, I have a PhD in molecular bio. So okay. not exactly math, but we, we do some math too. Right. Sorry to mansplain if that's the correct term here. <laughs> that can be our mathsplain that to you. Um, but this is really a, 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 a lot of our listeners, some of them are, are, are really into the math on this, but some are not. But anyway, if, if you can't have four guys playing 75% of the snap and then explain how the Ravens are going to play three defensive linemen per snap instead of two, because uh, that's what that's what that would mean. So uh, anyway, just to just put that into context. So let's go through and, and, and each take a guess maybe at, at, how much we'll see of each of these players. So let's start with Campbell there. Uh, do you have a, you have a solid guess on that? Yeah. And I, I think I would put him probably at about 70% because I, I think that he is the, the most important player on the defensive line and he's very versatile. And I think that's going to keep him on the field. He's also been a player who's always played a lot of snaps. And I know he's getting older and I know that Martindale likes to, rotate his defensive lineman a lot. So and that's why I don't have him even higher than that. But I think his impact is going to keep him on the field. The one caveat being if the Ravens have, have large leads, he's not going to play late in games. Right. He's He's been remarkable at beating the aging curve. I've got him at 67% of snaps. Uh, I think that's a, a, a reasonable reduction uh, given how where he is age-wise to help him continue to keep pace with that. Players like uh, Matt Burke in the past was it was a remarkable example of beating the aging curve while playing every snaps. I don't think we'll have the same luck 
with with a player like Campbell. So 67% would be uh, would be my guess. And I hope that he has a good enough year that they really, really want to keep him for 2021 because he's a key piece in terms of being a, a two-year player to keep this defensive line stable. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think that barring something unexpected that, that they will keep him for another year just because with the way they restructured his contract, it would be a, a little bit of a cap hit to, to let him go. Um, and I think that his, his value is probably going to be worth holding on to. All right. Who's, why don't you just tell, tell me who your second most snaps you think will go to? So for me, I'm going to go with Derek Wolf. And the one thing you'd have to mention about him is he hasn't always been 100% healthy. He's had some injury issues. And I think that could potentially keep him off the field if the Ravens want to maybe limit his snaps a little bit more than what he's seen in the past. But with Denver, he was a player who, similar to Campbell, played a lot of snaps. Um, and I think that he's also a guy who's he's versatile. Um, you can use him at different positions on the defensive line. He's good against the run. He's good against the pass. I'd probably have him at about you know 55% of the, of the snaps. That's, that's a lot, uh, especially for the Ravens, who play less of that. But you're right. The last five years with Denver, he's played... 59, 58, 46, 66, and 50 percent of the snaps with Denver. So he's played a lot early in his career. He played as many as 84 percent of the snaps as a rookie. So that's amazing on the defensive line, by the way. That's that's a really astounding total. But uh, I I would say in the Ravens system with a heavy rotation, a desire to see what some you know some players like Matabike can do, I don't think he's guaranteed a pass rush spot on third down with Pernell McPhee. For example, around if they want to put Campbell, McPhee, and then uh, Bowser and Judon on the field, that seems like the most likely third down package that they would use uh, to go with a dime defense and queen uh, would be, I have them at 45% as uh, as a snap percentage for the year. I think they'll, they'll rely on them on early downs. I think it'll be an important early down pass rusher who will see relatively limited action on third down. I think that that's definitely a potential um, route that'll happen. I think that for me, I, I think he has the skills to be out there a little bit more on, on third down than perhaps than you think. And maybe that's just me also thinking that the Ravens are going to use more of that kind of jumbo, jumbo nickel look um, as opposed to the dime. But I think a lot of it's going to depend on, on down and distance and, and how well the Ravens can, can kind of shut down teams in early and early downs. So um, the next player that, that I would have is going to be Brandon Williams. And I, and I think we might have these too reversed because I think mm-hmm. Williams is probably going to be on the field a lot less on passing downs and he'll probably be around 40% to me and maybe a little bit more than that. He might be 40 to 45%. I don't think he's going to crack 50% though. Oh, okay. Well, I would bet otherwise. Um, Williams has uh, been a very consistent high snap player for the Ravens. Obviously they miss him, but, but the other big thing is that they're without Michael Pierce this year, who was a legitimate kind of a one-for-one substitution for him or a substitution in kind. Last five years, Brandon Williams has played 69, 61, 44, 50, and 54% of snaps. So, you know, looking ahead to this year, I I put him at 55% of snaps because the Ravens need for the the jumbo player, the, the nose tackle, the one big man who can stop the run, all the things that Williams does well is very concentrated in him and there's no Pierce around. So I, I had him at 55%. Yeah, I think that's a, a fair assessment. And I think my counter to that be would be that I think we'll just see more two defensive linemen next to each other. Um, 
instead of just having that one defensive lineman. And and I think that's kind of where we're, we're differing in the way we're seeing these these breakdowns. So it, the, the typical situation that B-Will would be in as would be the nickel uh, run defense because it's the most common package they play. It's the package they play most that the opponent will force you into with three wide receivers. On, on that, the Ravens almost always play a one and a three to go with a, a, a five and a seven uh, uh, outside linebacker. And so they always need a pure one tech in in those in those situations. And that's I don't think you can really avoid playing somebody of Ellis or B. Will. You know, they can they can try and play Campbell there and see if that would work. That just doesn't leave them optimally set to defend the run, in my opinion. I mean, I, I agree with you. I think that you would put we definitely would lose some run defense capability if you if you take Brandon Williams off the field in, in those in those situations. And and like you said, that's a common um, alignment that the Ravens use. Uh, but I, I also think that this personnel that the Ravens have on the defensive line is very different than what they've had, you know, any time in the past, you know, decade really. And I, and I think there might just be a, a, a kind of change in how they they use those players in general. And and I could be completely off base here. Um, and maybe you know they do stick with the kind of the same theme that they've they've been using for a long time. But I think there might be a bit of a change and curious to see if that happens. All right. We'll, we'll be able to look at this week after week. We'll certainly have you on for a defensive show and get to talk about it. Uh, and, uh, you know, just Marvel because Wink has been, if, if nothing else, Wink has been remarkable at adapting to whatever situations occur and, and putting personnel on the field that he thinks will give them the best opportunity to scheme, whether it's for pass rush or against the run or whatever. I mean, the, the jumbo nickels are really a run adjustment, and but the race car dime has been very much a how do I get pass rush with a relatively limited set of pass rushers. So he's he's done remarkable things to to put a package on the field that's still kept the Ravens successful even when they've had some real personnel shortcomings. Yeah, and and I guess what I see is that the personnel shortcomings have kind of been adjusted for, and I think the personnel is actually a lot better on the defensive line now, and I'd like to see them implemented more, and I think. Maybe they will be. Maybe you're right. Maybe they kind of keep the same number of defensive linemen out there. But um, I think it's, it's always going to come down to how how they how well they play. Um, and I think the next player is going to be Justin Matabika, and he's a very good you know example of this. He's a rookie, so his his snaps could vary wildly depending on yes. on how he performs. Um, I, I have him at about thirty percent. I think. Um, because I, I do think he can be a very impactful pass rusher. Um, I kind of when I when I saw his tape, he reminded me a little bit of Geno Atkins, um, just in his kind of movement ability, his ability to kind of just also do a bull rush. He's he's very quick with his feet, like you mentioned. Um, he had a number I think his number was 53, and he kind of looked like a linebacker sometimes <laughs> the way he moved. Um, and I'd like to see him used pretty extensively in and especially in kind of those those dime packages um, where the Ravens are really trying to get after the passer, maybe bring an extra blitzer. And I think he can be very effective in that role. Yeah, definitely. I, w- I would see him as having a good chance to get some third down snaps. He's a, he's a, a passing down snaps. If the Ravens go through a year where they have the lead a lot, he'll certainly get a lot of opportunity. Some of his opportunity might be injury based. If he you know is able to get on the field because Wolf or somebody else is out and they just they have to go to him. Uh, but anyway, I have I have Matabike at 25% of snaps, and I agree that he's 
by far the greatest variance of any player if healthy. So if he's healthy, he could be he could be between under 10% to 65% if there were, you know, a rash of injuries on the defensive line, but I think 25% might be a reasonable representation of expectation given what's happened. The guy who who got a lot more snaps than expected last year was Jalen Ferguson. He got the real trial trial by fire as a rookie. Um Give you a second what he what he got is in terms of his defensive snaps for the year, but um, 52.3% of defensive snaps for an outside linebacker rookie it to- was totally unexpected as far as I was concerned. Yeah, I agree. That was definitely unexpected. And I think it was mostly just because they needed someone to play the outside linebacker on early downs, um, especially as a, as the season went on, he kind of proved his value as an edge setter. Um, so if Matabike can kind of carve out a role for himself similar to that, whether that's as, you know, uh, a dime package three technique, um, he might see his number of snaps jump ups if he's very effective. Um, but, and also, like you said, um, injury, like if, if Wolf gets hurt or, or Campbell were to miss some time, he would definitely be the next in line to take their snaps. Yeah. The other guy he's competing for snaps with, which we haven't talked about much, but it's worth talking about here is Pernell McPhee because McPhee, I, I would, his snaps will be, have to be closely monitored this year, but I would think he'd be playing on the inside on the typical dime package in a three outside linebacker look where they would have one other lineman. Now they may not do that this year. They may go with two defensive line and two outside linebackers, but if that's, if they do that, then I think they're, they're wasting some of what McPhee brings to this team. Uh, in terms of first step abilities. And as good as these interior rushers are, with the exception of Campbell, I think McPhee's probably the next best pass rusher from the inside. I don't think any of the other guys, Wolf or, or Matabike, are really in his class. Yeah, and, and you could correct me if I'm if I'm wrong on this, but I feel like he McPhee played a lot more outside than inside last year. Um, uh, both. He definitely got kicked into the inside on... Uh, passing downs much more frequently because the Ravens and, and Matt Martindale particularly value having the two guys who can drop the cover on the outside. So Judon and Bowser on the vast majority of snaps, and they became more as the season rolled on, uh, were both used in tandem in, in those sort of packages. And that allowed a lot of rotation of coverages, blitzes from safety and whatnot to, uh, uh, to deal with that. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I agree with the, um, what you're saying clearly and, and the Ravens have, have been using that kind of player in that role for a while um, dating back to when Pernell McPhee was with the Ravens the first time around mm-hmm. you know that's kind of how he really broke out was playing that defensive line interior defensive line pass rusher role um, and and he still definitely has some of those those skills that you know got him a name in the league I guess you might say yeah still a great first step Maybe it was it's not quite as thunderous as it used to be, but another guy who was just an unbelievable underneath pass rush threat. I mean, he's he he can step between two defenders. They can both be blocking him. If there's any kind of peel off, he has an enormous advantage against the one remaining blocker. McPhee in 2014 never really got enough of the credit for driving that pass rush. Dumerville and Suggs had enormous years in terms of uh, sack productivity. You know, they probably had both their best year in terms of number of sacks. But uh, McPhee was really driving that pass rush from the inside with his ability to consistently suck up double teams there and and create opportunities for other pass rushers. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a shame that his his career is kind of derailed by injuries um, because he was 
he was a very productive player for, for the Ravens, and and when he was on the field for the Bears too, he just wasn't able to stay healthy. Very, very, very fun player. Always, always appreciate him. I'm so happy he's back in Baltimore, and and uh, both last year and this year, I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't 100 percent sure they'd be able to get him back this year. Yeah, I was, I was pleasantly surprised when I saw that the Ravens had resigned him, and especially considering that they weren't able to really bring in any other players outside linebacker i think having another veteran presence that can play both outside and you know as we mentioned kick inside on passing downs is, is important to have all right so we haven't really talked about washington but what do you expect where do, what do you expect of him in terms of getting on the field in 2020 so i think washington is probably going to be the player who's outside looking in the most frequently if he's on the 53-man roster um which I, th- I think he will be. Um, I think he's probably going to be the last defensive lineman activated. So my guess is the number of snaps he sees are, are pre- fairly low. I'll guess five to ten percent at most, unless injuries happen, and then that could we could see a spike there. Right. I think that's probably true. I think there's also a, 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 they're probably going to come to an early decision point with Washington. They'll look at him in camp, what whatever there is for camp, frankly, this year. And they'll have to try and make a decision right away if he's really ready physically to play on the defensive line in this league. And if he's not, I think I think he's a good candidate for for IR immediately. And uh, and that's a that, you know that is a reasonable possibility. The season-ending IR. Another possibility is maybe they say, well, you know what, we're not just a hundred percent sure about our our defensive line with all the age we've got here. We'll. We'll wait until after week one to IR him, so he's an IR DTR candidate. So, they, but you have to wait until after the first game. anybody anybody who goes on IR before the you know the roster is set is uh, is done for the year. Yeah, that's true. So that would be an interesting um, thing to see happen if if he does go on the if the IR early in the season. Um, that might be a, an indication that they like to bring him back later on or have the p- ability to bring him back later on. So um, I guess the last couple guys here, you know, we, we talked a little bit about Mac and Ellis already, and we both said, you know, Mac might have a leg up in terms of the, having a rookie contract. I think that Ellis is probably a better player at this point in their careers, although, you know, Mac just has played one one year and he didn't really play very much at all. So it's kind of hard. It might be flipping a coin for either one of these guys. And I think the one that does make the roster is probably going to be similar to what I said about Washington, you know, five, maybe 10% of the snaps at, at most. And he's just going to be like the backup nose tackle and on jump and on some jumbo packages, maybe see a, little, a few more snaps if someone gets hurt. Right. I'm, I'm with you on that. That, that. that means they'll have to really lean on B-Will because if you look at the, the composition of snaps between B-Will and Pierce in the past, they, they took a lot more snaps to as a unit in the 90% range uh, last couple of years. So I, I would agree. Mack and Ellis together, one guy makes it. I think it'll probably I have Ellis as being the guy who makes it in 6%. Uh, being his percentage of snaps. He could actually play a little bit more than that, but I think there's also a chance he won't be active for every game, even if he's the one who makes the team. And then I, I don't know about you, I had Ricard at 3% of snaps, 30 snaps. I don't want to see him play on defensive line a lot more than that. Yeah, I think that, that seems about right. And my guess is he's he's really only going to be playing a few kind of situational snaps at best on defense. And that's going to be... Maybe, like I said before, late in games or, or maybe in like some strange package that they, they want to just 
see what he can do in there. But I think that he's going to have a bigger role in offense, and that's going to mean that they don't want to use it much on defense. Right. I think that would have. To, I think that would be the smart move anyway. I mean, he's a Pro Bowl fullback, damn it. I mean, you know, it's it's not like you really need to use him, and it's not the it's not the high value that the Texans got say out of using J.J. Watt or the Patriots got out of Teddy Bruschi, where he's scoring touchdowns on the plays that he's in, kind of thing. You know, he's he's playing defensive line, and you know, he did actually have a fumble that was returned for a touchdown against Cincinnati, but but it's not exactly you know what's likely to happen on a play by play basis. So it'd be a shame if he if some of that offensive talent got got lost there. Anyway, for the total, I had 2.01 defensive linemen per play. I felt like I had go, maybe gone overboard a little raising the defensive line per play to that level, but I really tried to play with the numbers to, to, to try and make it work for where I think the Ravens will end up this year. And I do think they'll play slightly more defensive line, not a ton more defensive line, because they're going to play a lot more inside linebacker snaps this year. Uh, they were at 1.33 ILB snaps per play last year and having Harrison and Queen I've got to figure that number is going to go up sharply yeah I, and we talked about that a little bit in, in our linebacker podcast and I, I do agree that we probably will see more inside linebackers on the field um, and and the question is is that going to be taken out of the defensive backs or out of the defensive line um, or potentially out of the outside linebackers because there was a lot of outside linebackers on the field last year um, so I think there's you know a lot of different ways in which this can go. I think I'm probably about the same spot that you are. I actually wasn't adding them up. I probably should have been. I think I was probably around maybe a little bit more, maybe around 2.1% um, overall. I think the Ravens will use the defensive line a little bit more. They invested a lot in it this offseason, and, um, and I think that's going to translate to, to more snaps on the football field. All right. Well, how, how Brandon Williams will be having a twelve million dollar cap year, I believe, and I don't, I might, I might not have the number exactly correct. A twelve million dollar base salary is what matters, not not what his cap number is in two thousand and twenty one, which would lead me to believe he's really at a crossroads in his career right now. If he has a big year back at nose tackle, the Ravens could keep him, I suppose, but going or they might just restructure and 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 come up with a different contract size for him. Uh, or have him agree to take a slight pay cut. But next year with COVID, uh, you know, if the cap is reduced by a significant percentage and those dollars are really worth more, Williams is one of the players that I think the Ravens are going to have to consider cutting in order to uh, rebuild the offense. I mean, there's a lot of dollars have to shift from defense to offense on this team. Campbell and B. Will are the two of the players. So if you got really young on the defensive line, that could be the place where you're saving for a while. Uh, other guys who are in jeopardy on the Ravens' defense are, are Thomas and even um, Peters, because Peters has a has a contract that, that the Ravens can get out after one year at not too much cost. So uh, it'd be interesting to see how that plays out. Right, and and I think that Brandon Williams is probably the most likely candidate to kind of have a reduction, whether it is you know a, a outright release or you know a salary reduction, and. That's just basically just because of, you know, what kind of value he brings compared to what Campbell brings, for instance, on defensive line. I, th- I think that Campbell is going to be a much more impactful player um, in, in both phases of pass and run defense. So, like you mentioned, there are some other players, um, Thomas, depending on how he plays this year and, and how some of the other Ravens defensive backs look, could definitely be 
in consideration. I don't think the Ravens will get rid of Marcus Peters unless he kind of falls off the face of a cliff this year in terms of his play, um, just because they they really have built this defense from defensive backs up, and I think right. it's worked really well. And having two players on the outside that are ex- very good coverage corners is is a huge benefit in the in the league now. And and I, I don't see Jimmy Smith coming back. Um, Especially, you know, he's going on, what, like 31, 32 years old now, too. Right. Um, so Peters and, and Humphrey are both pretty young. I think the Ravens would like to keep them around for a few more years. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would love to keep them around, too, obviously, if the Ravens can afford to do it. The, the problem will come is that Peters will be in high demand probably this coming off season, And if the Ravens need money, whether that's to sign Ronnie Stanley or... Marlon Humphrey or Mark Andrews or whoever it is, the guy they want to try and get signed this off season or the couple guys, Matthew Don could be, um, you know, they have to find that money from somewhere. And, and while I think you're right, um, you know, they may decide that they can draft a corner in the first or second round and make that cut after the draft in 2021. So it'd be the kind of that'd be the the kind of the timing of it. Now I I've forgotten exactly who has guaranteed money that gets a portion to the beginning of the league year, and that's also an important fact because it because it obviously uh, screws around with whether or not you're going to know what you're drafting yet. Yeah, that, that's definitely something that you know I'm, I'm sure the Ravens front office will have full understanding of how they have the contracts um, um, written. So I, I mean maybe Peters is a player that they could even trade. I mean, I think he has a lot of value. Mm-hmm. So, and he's, you know, he's been traded twice already, and he kind of, for whatever reason, has has worn out his welcome. I think he's, so far, he's been kind of a, a model citizen in Baltimore. But we'll see if maybe there's some ill content that that drives him out as well. So, I, I'm not concerned. I'm not really not concerned about ill content. Although that's, you know, maybe that is a possibility. But the Ravens seem to want him to allow to to play his games on the outside to be a playmaker. And they're going to put up with some with some touchdown passes if that's what it amounts to. But the, the interceptions he had against Seattle and Cincinnati were just is Seattle was a puppeteer interception, you know, where he, he he forced Wilson to throw that ball, and you know he knew exactly what was coming. The one against Cincinnati, he stepped under underneath a three step drop throw because he realized exactly what was happening with the seven man rush, and that if he was wrong, that, that Ryan Finley probably wasn't going to complete the pass over him anyway. So it was a, it, he, he takes very good gambles, an extremely studious player. What doesn't really seem to mesh with that is the way he acts on the field. All of this tongue out, taunting the opposing team on a regular basis. I don't mind trash talking. I just, I don't think you need to do it to the camera. I think you need to do it you know, to the other player on the field, maybe to get him upset, kind of like poker players would do. But, but when you, when it, you know, boils over into the hallway, leaving the game at the Coliseum, it's just, it's not my kind of tunnel, I should say. It's not exactly what I what I like. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with you. And I think that, you know, the, I think John Harbaugh as a, as a head coach has kind of relaxed his the way that he feels about his, his players. I think he lets them, you know, have their personalities and, and be the players that um, they want to be. And that's kind of the environment that he's created. And, I, and in that sense, I think Peters fits in. You know, he can be this kind of, overboard personality and as long as his play on the field you know keeps up i think that's the only thing that really matters yeah that's a good point that's been a change in harbaugh over the years hasn't it i mean the the kennel he kept 
you know, it's out of doghouse. It's, it needs way more cells than that or, or cages. Um, was was pretty significant in the early years with all of those guys. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. And and I think he's he's really become kind of that that players coach that I, he wasn't early on. I think he was much more of a disciplinarian when he was in the league the first you know five six years. And and the more he's been around, I think he's he's really just kind of you know fostered this kind of family kind of atmosphere in the, in the locker room. And I think that's to his credit. That's very exciting. Evolution in a coach is just really good to see. And Harbaugh's evolution as a, as a game manager has been stark over the years. Uh, you know, he had, he had a guy in place, I think from fairly early on who could have helped him with a lot of these game management decisions, but he's really come to trust a lot of the analytics uh, in recent years. But I know Matt Weiss started out in the organization effectively as Harbaugh's personal assistant. I, I, I don't want to call him as Harbaugh's secretary, but he was he was a you know a, a direct assistant to Harbaugh uh, in a lot of matters uh, early on in his career. But uh, but he's now got a much bigger role. In fact, I think he's the running backs coach now, uh, uh, either this season or, or might have been last season, uh, which is an impressive climb through the organization. Yeah, for sure. And just kind of goes to show you um, the kind of organization that the Ravens have. You know, if, if you're someone who has been around a long time and, and you know, puts in the hard work and, and learns and, and adapts and grows, um, you're going to have a, the ability to move up. And, you know, we've seen that with the scouts. With, I mean, Eric DaCosta is a perfect example of that, right? So, and, and we see in the in the coaching staff as well. A pleasure to have you on again, Gabe. These are always great discussions when we when we get you here and and uh, good units to talk about. We had fun, I think, with the inside linebackers as well. Uh, tell people where they can find your work for starters and what your Twitter handle is. Yeah, uh, thanks again, Ken. I, I really enjoy coming on this podcast. I think you know we do have some some fun conversations. And and you can find my work at at baltimoresportsandlife.com. Um, you know, I probably. I'm doing about two articles a month during the off season, and that'll probably ramp up as we get closer to once the season begins. Um, we, and we have a pretty active message board that you can talk about Ravens. You know, we have a lot of Orioles to talk to if you if you like the Orioles, um, and some Maryland Terp stuff. And then uh, you can follow me on Twitter at gabefergie.gabefergie, at, at and that's um, you know I'm pretty active on, on Twitter as well, and you know always looking to talk about the Ravens. Yeah. I, 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 I want to just speak to the, the quality of the BSL board. I mean, a, a lot of the boards in town are good, but the, but the BSL board has a number of very high-quality posters and some other national posters like Rivers McCown and whatnot uh, who also write there. So I, I highly recommend the site as one you uh, uh, go to to look for football content. And even if you've got your favorites, you know, I, I have a list of five or six or seven sites that I visit for Ravens contents. And even if I only spend five minutes there, I, I lurk and I see what people are saying and, and see if, if there's anything that might be worthy of a film study short. And, and there often is on the BSL content. And that's how I've, I've uh, found Gabe originally is, is uh, you know, posting back and forth with, with you and with Jordan Coe over there. Uh, and uh, it's been a pleasure to work with you guys both. Yeah. And we always like when you when you jump in and, and drop some knowledge on our message board as well. So feel free to come in and do that as, as frequently as you like. I, I appreciate it, Gabe. <laughs> so, uh, uh, thanks for that. I uh, want to encourage anybody who's out there listening, if you have a topic you'd like to talk about, you're passionate about, you've studied something, try and try and come to me about a film study short by direct message on Twitter. That's usually the easiest way to reach me. And I'd love to get you on. It's usually a very short process from when you're, when you're, 
you have an idea for the topic and how quickly we can be on the air discussing about it. And I have an interest in talking about a wide variety of Ravens topics. So hit me up and we'll, uh, we'll try and get you on air. I want to be as inclusive as possible. If you have an idea for a study and you'd like me to help you in terms of what data could be collected or arranged or whatever, I'm happy to help people with that as well. I spend a fair amount of time during the off season and doing uh, such things like that, but please don't feel shy about contacting me about that. Um, I'm, I'm, very eager always to do that kind of work. Anyway, uh, Gabe, thanks again for coming on, and uh, we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Birdland Sports. For fans, by fans. Find more great shows like this at birdlandsports.com. Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.